0: Matthew 517 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the... One of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew seven one to twelve Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others that you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets.
1: Well, you heard what it said. Ask, and it will be given to you. But I want to ask you this. If you don't get what you ask God for, should you doubt his generosity. Uh, let me tell you something about being a, a primary school sports teacher. I was a primary school sports teacher uh, for the last four years uh, before I became a, a Bible college student this year. And the biggest day, biggest day of all days in that year was Sports Carnival Day. That's right. What faction's going to win? You've got, uh, at my school, I had 500 kids out there uh, and had up to 500 parents and all sorts of people out there. And so, like you, um, I knew those important and famous bits of the Bible well. Ask and you'll receive. So, around uh, July, very rainy time of the year, I'd be praying, uh, God, could you please give me, you know, because you're in charge of the weather, could you please give me a fine day? Uh, We've already booked the day. It can't really be changed. I'm just asking that, you know, we have some good weather for this carnival because there's 1,000 people and I'm in charge of it. Um, 2012 came and it was a a beautiful day, no one was expecting it but it was, 2013 another beautiful day 2014, three years in a row, a beautiful day in the middle of August 2015 it bucketed, the rain was just, it didn't stop parents went home, the rain was going sideways, kids couldn't stay under their shelters, we had to take them into the undercover area and so the question I ask you is the same one that I ask myself. Should I doubt God's generosity in that moment, that he hasn't given me what I've asked for? Now, you might, you might think that's a bit of a trivial example or it's not that consequential. What about the bigger issues in our world? What about, what about the suffering that I'm praying for in other countries? Uh, or what about uh, personal issues that, are la- that have lasted for a long time in my life or people, people's lives that I know? Uh, for instance, last week I met a lady. She was in her 60s or 70s. Uh, and she and her husband, they were, they were Christians and they had only been able to have one child, a daughter. And after she had the daughter, she had um, postnatal depression and then that became a bipolar disorder and so she struggled with that throughout her life. Um, her daughter moved out at the age of 18 because they just couldn't really live together under the same roof. Too many struggles, too many tensions, and now her daughter's forty years old, and she's not a Christian. And uh, and you think to yourself, what sort of disappointments might she be struggling with? What sort of things does she asked God for that she maybe hasn't got? Um, but we'll come back to that at the end of the talk. Stick with me. Um, so where are we? We are on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. We're mainly going to be focusing on, the, uh, on verses 7 to 12 of chapter 7. Uh, we're not really going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. Um, and at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus took his disciples up there to teach them. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the crowds were amazed. So we sort of have this idea that somewhere along the line, there's people streaming up, streaming up. Um, the crowd's getting bigger and bigger to listen to what Jesus is saying. And it says they were amazed because he, he taught, not like other teachers of the law, but one who had authority. And so they'd be sort of, shh, shh trying to listen into what, what they're saying and, and crowding in. And here Jesus says these famous words, ask, verse 7, what we call verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just feel the weight of those words as Jesus would have said them. What sort of power is He is He does He have, does He give to those people who He's talking to? It's not power from within, it's power from above. Uh, So we're going to look at four points tonight. Uh, and there are three commands from verse 7 and one command down at verse 12. You can just call them out, have a look. What are the three commands in verse 7 and one in verse 12? Ask. Ask. Seek. Knock. And in verse 12? The golden rule, what, what word would you give me there? Do, do. So we sort of have a badly spelled acronym there, ASKED. Um, And uh, (laughs) it's a miracle. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, down in verse 12, we have what's called the Golden Rule. It says, uh, have a look with me, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So they're going to be our four points. It's always good to read the Bible thinking about what is it actually asking me to do. And they're the four commands we have there. Ask, seek, knock, and do. Um, so, the first one, ask. Uh, if you've, you've probably read it or seen the movie, but Roald Dahl wrote a book about a little girl with special powers. Uh, her name was Matilda. and She had two really nasty parents who were neglectful and mean. And at one stage in the book, her dad, Harry Wormwood, says to her, Matilda, I'm big and you're small. I'm right and you're wrong. There's nothing you can do about it. Pretty mean. Uh, And when we come to a passage like this, I think we forget that, well, actually, God could treat us like that, couldn't he? We don't get to decide what God's like. God is God. We are created by him. But This passage tells us he's not like that. He's not cruel. He doesn't just lord his power over us. In fact, he wants us to ask him for things and then he gives us things. Uh, So there's a few things that we can learn uh, from this, this command here, ask and it will be given to you. Firstly, that God is interested in us and that he desires relationship with us. That's why he wants us to ask him for things. Secondly, uh, God gives to people who ask. I think um, sometimes we can, we can stress God's unconditional love so much and his uh, far-reaching common grace that we forget or don't even ask him for anything. Uh, and then we sort of protect ourselves from disappointment because, hey, I didn't ask God for anything in particular and he didn't give it. So how can I be disappointed? But that's not what Jesus is saying here he's telling us, ask, ask your father. Um, he's just previously told us uh, to not give our pearls to pigs and one of the reasons you could think of is because, well, pigs don't ask for pearls, pigs don't ask for anything. God is, God is giving his pearls to people who ask for pearls the third thing that, that, uh, that this command teaches us is that God is generous. Uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount and, and it, in, uh, in this passage here, God is described as a generous father. He's, he's, not, he's not a father in the sense that um, humans are fathers, fathers and he's just kind of an extension of that. He's a father like almost like we couldn't imagine that he's the best of fathers, he is all-powerful. Here it says he's a father in the heavens with everything at his command. Uh, And we are constantly in need. That's something that the Sermon on the Mount absolutely teaches us. From the very first words, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's It's a beggar's theology. We're constantly shown that we're in need. Uh, and so that's our first point, to ask like a beggar. Jesus' second command is to seek. Uh, and this is sort of the odd one out of those three, because the result of seeking is something that we can find. So in, in asking, God says, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, when he says, knock, he says, knock and the door will be open to you. But seeking... We ourselves are able to find. He gives us this sort of responsibility and this uh, action to take to take part in as we seek. Uh, And so, just have a look with me there again. It says seven in the middle of seven. It says seek and you will find. And then again in verse eight, the one who seeks finds. And the problem we come up with here is, well, what am I seeking? Uh, We don't even use the word seeking very much in our vernacular. We use the word uh, to search or have a look around. Uh, So what am I searching for? It doesn't really give us any clues in the previous verse or the next verse. But I think if we were on the mount 30 seconds earlier, we would have heard that very word being said in a different context. So have a look back a couple of lines to uh, chapter 6 verse 31 and you'll see how Jesus uses the word seek he says so don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well So, I think in our passage, Jesus is building on that idea. He's using what he's talked about before, um, saying that the first thing, the very first thing that we need to seek for is God's kingdom and his righteousness. And in seeking God's kingdom, we want to be a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus makes it clear that we can be. We can be a part of his kingdom. We are to seek it. We are to seek it and we will find it. Um, and if we ask, well, how does that work and how long will that take? Um, well, it really takes our whole lives. Uh, the, the second most well-read book in the world is called A Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, and that's this idea of seeking, seeking God's kingdom. Yes, it is something that we do one time if, if we've just found God's kingdom we want to be a part of it and we say I would like to be a part of your kingdom God then he invites us in but from that point on the seeking is on and on and on but we don't fear that it will be a wasted journey because what does he say in verse seven seek and you will find uh, so that's our second point to seek like a pilgrim Uh, Third, Knock, uh, which shows us another great characteristic of our God in heaven. Uh, Not only is God interested in us, he wants us to ask, he won't reject us. Not only is he uh, generous, he's not stingy, he's not lacking in anything that he doesn't want to give, Uh, he's not unfulfilling. We're not going to get to the end of our lives and think we've wasted it. He's also welcoming. We're not going to be left outside in the cold if we knock. Uh, So have a look with me, verse 7. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then in verse 8. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I guess the question at this point is, why can't I open it myself? You might have this picture of knocking at, a, knocking at a door where there's just no handle. You just can't open the door. And whose door are we knocking at? Throughout this passage, we're knocking at the door of the Heavenly Father. And soon, Jesus is going to answer that question for us. It's because we don't have the right. We don't have the privilege as ourselves just to open the door to God's kingdom. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 11. Jesus says some pretty big words. We might have skipped over them in the first reading, but I'm sure you'll notice them here. He says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That was a bit of a bump in the text, wasn't it? It's all sounding so good until that comes along. If you then, though, you're evil. um, Jesus is saying, you're in a difference of category to God. He is not evil. You are evil. And he doesn't say, if we being evil... Jesus says, if you being evil, which puts him on the side of God. He is on the inside of the door. We are on the outside of the door knocking, desperately wanting to come in like a guest. We're waiting for an answer. And what promise does he give us? Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we're to ask like a beggar, to seek like a pilgrim, to knock like a guest. Uh, and at this point, Jesus gives an illustration. So he's, he's given these, these three promises, that, wonderful promises about who God is and about how we are to relate to him. Ask, seek, knock. And then he says, uh, Jesus gives this illustration, "'Which of you, if your son asks for bread, "'will give him a stone?' Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Um, I guess all of us can relate to that. You don't have to be a parent to have had a child ask you for something. Um, we, we could say, if, you're asked, if a child asks you for a cracker, would you give them a chilli? Or if a child asks for a drink, would you boil the kettle and pour it into a cup for them? No, no you wouldn't. And I think even though Jesus is saying, look, in terms, of, in terms of what you are, you're evil, he's also saying, as a general rule, humans don't enjoy being cruel to one another. Yes, they, there's many illustrations and examples of when they are, um, and even probably of, of parents who've done this. But as, uh, you know, when he's talking to us, he says, you're not, you're not cruel to each other. You're not cruel to your children, so why, when you come to God, do you sometimes think that He is? I speak from personal experience. When I'm praying to God, sometimes I find myself thinking, "God's just trying to teach me a lesson here," and you know, all those sorts of thoughts run through your mind as you're praying. And and Jesus is saying, "That's not the case. It's a how much more argument." If you then imagine a father giving his child what he what he needs food and water, how much more will God in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Um, well, we're up to what I sometimes call a wake up sentence if you haven't been listening, please listen at this point. Um, this is really important this is this is the kind of the big application for, for you for this passage. We're talking about good gifts, and the best of all gifts is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to, to, into eternal life with him, through believing in him. And he, so here's the wake-up sentence. If you are sorry, and if you are serious, and you ask God to be saved through Jesus, then he promises to do it. That's one of the places these passages takes us. If you are sorry and if you are serious and if you ask God to be saved through Jesus, then he promises to do it. Ask and it will be given to you. Now let's go back to our uh, illustrate, uh, our, um, our issue that we had at the start of this talk. Uh, if you are sort of realistic, being realistic about it and you come to this statement that Jesus makes, ask and it will be given, and you think about some of the things that you haven't been given in the past, what do you do with that? Um, how do you think about it? And it's, that's, a great, that's a great question to ask because you're not just sort of taking Jesus' words on a, on a mystical level or just sort of going, oh, he's just, just speaking, speaking in um, exaggerations and, and just trying to... Help us give, give us a higher vision for life, or something like that. No, you, you, want real, you want real things from Jesus, and you want to know how it will impact your life and your prayer life. So, I think that's a great question to ask. If I don't get what I ask God for, should I doubt His generosity? Let me read you something from a book uh, that I read. It's a guy called, a theologian called Scott McKnight wrote this, and I thought it um, had some good points in it. Let me read it to you. He says, the single biggest discouragement in prayer is unanswered, deeply felt petitions. Sometimes we ask God for something that doesn't matter that much. But when we ask for what we want, want most, the conversion of a friend or healing, employment or justice in the face of massive injustice, And when we go before God time and time again with that single issue and God seems distant or uninterested or flat out does not answer our prayer in that someone dies before conversion or someone dies without healing or someone's life goes south because of unemployment, we can become discouraged about prayer. And he says, I have no answer to the problem of unanswered prayer and frankly the typical answers, they don't do much for me that God does answer but not in the way we expected, that we are to keep on praying, that we're out of God's will, uh, that our motives are impure, that we're really only learning to adjust our wills to God's will, that we really don't want what we're asking, that the answers are given as yes, no, or wait a little longer. He says none of these really get to the heart of the heartfelt yearning for God to act. Um, while I think that some of the the reasons that he gives for not getting what we pray for from God, I, I think some of those things he listed actually are, are good ways of thinking about maybe why we didn't get it. Uh, I also think that he's right in that we can't just think of some uh, theological reason as to why God didn't give it give us something and that will satisfy us because we know it's a personal relationship and we feel naturally disappointed if we've asked for something that we really, really do want. Uh, But let me tell you two stories in the Bible of uh, of people who didn't get what they'd asked for from God and how we can still see God's generosity in that. So these are two people and, and you probably think that they would get what they'd ask for from God. The first of them is Paul. Um, uh, Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was given this thing that he called a thorn in the flesh. Not really sure what it was, but he said it tormented him and God gave it to him. And uh, and so he asked God uh, to take it away from him. He asked God once, God didn't take it away from him. He asked God twice, and God didn't take it away from him. And he asked God three times, And then God said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, And so Paul went on to say uh, that he boasted in that, that, in his weakness and that he could still see God's generosity to him in the fact that he didn't get what he asked God for. And he also said that God gave it to him so that he wouldn't become conceited, which is a generous thing. The other person we can look at, it's quite astounding, it's the person who is is saying to us here to ask our Heavenly Father and he'll give. It's Jesus. In Luke 22, um, before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he doesn't want to have to face the full force of God's undeserved punishment and anger. And so he says, uh, take this cup from me, the cup of God's wrath, Uh, yet not what I will, but what you will. And we think, how much would the Father have wanted to take away from Jesus his wrath and his anger. But still, Jesus went through it. Jesus took the full force of God's wrath. Um, And God's generosity was still intact to Jesus there because he was purchasing Jesus a people. In that act uh, of, of Jesus going to the cross to die for people like us, to die for us, uh, he was he was giving Jesus uh, he was giving Jesus a people what the New Testament calls his bride even his bride who are going to go on and live with him and worship him for all eternity and so God was still being generous to Jesus in that uh, act of not giving Jesus what he asked for and he was super generous to ask us, us too so I guess but it, um, if you want an answer to that question. Um, if you don't get what you ask for from God, uh, should you doubt his generosity, I'd say absolutely not. Um, looking at our passage, looking at what uh, Scott McKnight has said about you know the disappointment that we feel and looking at the stories of Paul and Jesus, God's generosity stays intact no matter what. Uh, although we can't always see it and we might feel some disappointment from time to time. Okay, last one. So we've had... Uh, three, three points, ask like a beggar, seek like a pilgrim, knock like a guest. And the last one is do, as someone said, called the golden rule. Uh, and I, I'd like to sort of make this one a little bit memorable by saying, if you're trying to sum this one up, I'll say, do what you'd like. Do Not do what you like, definitely don't think that Jesus is saying that on the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> He's not, he's absolutely not. But maybe here he's saying, do what you'd like. Do what you would like somebody to do for you. Do it for them. Uh, It's kind of this uh, utter empathy attached with an action as well that he's saying sums up the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Um, One of the reasons why we... Why we read Matthew 5:17 to 20 tonight was because this passage is at the end of about a chapter and a half of Jesus looking at the law and the prophets and trying to, and trying to show what they mean and how they should make us act. So in at chapter 5, 17, have a look with me. He says, uh, "'Do not think that I have come "'to abolish the law or the prophets.' I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. And then he goes on, and gives a whole lot of laws and uh, and brings them into the present and shows how hypocritically and minimalistically people have been carrying them out. Now they've totally missed the point of God's law for them. And here in chapter seven, verse twelve, he uses that same phrase again because he's finishing off that section of his sermon. He says, so in everything, in verse 12, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus at this point is going to go on to start talking about what path are you going to choose? Uh, where are you going to build your house? And those sorts of things. So he is uh, finishing here a section on the law and the prophets. And if you're thinking... Uh, How does the golden rule kind of relate to ask, seek and knock? You wouldn't be the first person to ask that. Uh, It's sort of quite difficult, I think, to work out how does that actually relate. But I think there's a few ways that we can see that it relates. Uh, Two that I I could sort of think of were that both of them are talking about a generous type of love. Uh, Ask, seek and knock are talking about God's generous love towards us. And the golden rule is talking about our generous love toward each other. It's sort of a little bit dangerous even because if you like to be loved luxuriously or lavishly, uh, Jesus is saying do that for someone else. In fact, do that for everyone else. You know, there's a bit of, there's a bit of danger in there um, because the more that you enjoy, the more that you're obliged to do for somebody else. Uh, and the second way that this that the golden rule connects to ask, seek and knock, um, is that it talks about our desires. So God's given us these desires uh, and He's sort of said here that there's two reasons why you have those desires. One is that you ask God for things and that you're relying on God and the second is that you sort of turn those desires inside out to do good things for other people. You know what's good because you've felt it when it happened to you. And so that helps you to know what's good to do for other people. And Jesus says that sums up the entire law and the prophets. It's loving generously. Uh, okay, so let me conclude now uh, by giving you two really quick stories. Um, one of just some generous uh, answering of prayer. So uh, we're, in a, we're in a Bible study um, like a lot of you would be, and at the end of the Bible study, we all pray for each other, and when, in our Bible study, uh, we, it's in our house, and we'd sort of moved into our house, um, this is, uh, last year or the year before, and we didn't really know many of the neighbours yet, and we really wanted to, um, we wanted to get to know our neighbours, um, hopefully one day we'd, we'd be able to share, um, Jesus with them, the gospel, um, but we didn't really know them. So how could we even start thinking about that? So we we said to the group, oh, could you just pray that we get to know our neighbours? That was on a Wednesday night. And then uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, there was a storm and uh, there was a bit of lightning and there was some more lightning and so we thought we'll go inside because we were watching it with the kids. And then (laughs) there was the loudest lightning I'd ever heard. There was no break between sound and light. It was like the light and the sound came at the same time. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so I looked at Anne and go, that was so loud. And then we hear this on our window and someone says, your tree's on fire. <laughs> and uh, and, the, and a lightning bolt had struck, I'll show you a photo after if you want to, uh, had struck our eight-metre-tall palm tree and it was just this ball of fire with floating branches alight into our gutters and into, on our rooftops. Anyway, so I got my phone and I called triple zero, um, but somebody who, who had been driving along the road had already done that. So as I was on the phone, the fire engine had already come up and they started spraying it. Anyway, you can imagine what happened. All the neighbours came out, we were having a chat to everyone and in fact one lady whose house it was near she was so distressed that she came into our house and we were having chocolate and sharing stories and uh, we still talk about it to this day. That's one example of God's generous, generous love in, in listening and answering our prayer. Thankfully nothing happened to our house um, but I think our, our Bible study definitely felt pretty special that God had been listening to us. Um, and the second i I just want to finish that story about the lady that I met last week um so she has has a daughter who's forty who who they haven't had the greatest relationship and and a and her daughter's not christian, and yet she says, "Oh every morning, my husband and i we we pray uh for our daughter, we just like to remind God um about her, and I thought that's that is a great example of someone who could be shaking their fist or could be just pitying themselves because God hasn't um, answered their prayer. But she's just saying, we're just reminding God. He's a, he's a generous God. He's a powerful God. He can do it whenever he wants. Uh, so we'll ask him every day for that thing that's very near to our heart. So ask like a beggar. Seek like a pilgrim. Knock like a guest and do what you'd like.